In this episode, I go deep into borderline personality disorder. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and your fellow trauma nerd, helping you understand and apply the science of connection to daily life. Welcome to episode 50 of the Polyvagal Podcast. If you're one of the super fans, stick around after the main topic. I've got announcements, a homework assignment, and a request of you. Before we get to all of this, there's a few disclaimers I have to go into. Please put yourself first. I keep every episode as safe as I can, but just by the nature of the topics, you might experience some stuff coming up. So please take a break if you need to. This one doesn't go into some trauma details, of course, but it's a pretty hefty one as far as the depth that we're going to get into. And also this information is not meant to diagnose. If you feel like you may be experiencing symptoms of borderline personality disorder, consult with a mental health or medical professional. I'm speaking in generalities, your specific situation, diagnosis, treatment, and medication are entirely between you and your provider. And these are my personal conceptualizations about how the polyvagal theory connects to the DSM, uh, borderline personality disorder, in particular in this episode. I'm not suggesting that you think the same way. In reality, these diagnoses are often very different between providers. And even when we agree upon a diagnosis, they're potentially understood in very different ways. So this is how I am viewing them in general as kind of a starting point. BPD is a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and affects, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. We're going to actually hone in on a couple of concepts before we get to the five or more of the following. There's already been some key words here that that we need to focus on, and some of those are instability of interpersonal relationships, and the other one is impulsivity, as well as already themes around confidence or self-esteem. The significance here might relate to the polyvagal shutdown state. This disorder may be rooted in development of the self, and we know there's a lot of trauma that typically underlies borderline personality disorder. So there may be some, uh, this disorder may be rooted in development of the self, which suggests a significant layer of shutdown, I think. Uh, The words self-image here, I think, are also pretty darn key. Impulsivity in particular may have something to do with energy returning from shutdown into sympathetic, or it could be the stuck sympathetic freeze energy getting triggered. Either way, a layer of sympathetic activation sounds like it could be here potentially. Impulsivity will also have something to do with a weaker vagal break. Just as a reminder, the vagal break is the influence of the social engagement system on the heart. It's not a thing, the vagal break. I know it's when we, we hear that, we think of like a thing, but it's not a separate thing. It's, it's the influence of the ventral vagal safe and social system on the heart, keeping it at a calmer heartbeat or a heart rate. Now, this impulsivity having something to do with a weaker vagal break, that is what I'm saying is a weaker social engagement system. This makes a lot of sense, especially considering the social impairments of BPD. We can already tell also just from this opening line that being with the self in the present moment, there's there's an impairment there. And I think this is the same for all of these quote unquote disorders that there is a lack of being in the present moment. When we're grounded in the present moment, I don't think that sympathetic energy is going to be nearly as strong 
our interpersonal relationships aren't going to be nearly as unstable. Our self-image, our affect, all of these things are going to be at a, a more predictable, calmer baseline in general, I think. So being with the self, we can already we can tell there's an impairment here. There's some sympathetic activation here. We can tell that as well. The other thing that I want to point out from just from this opening line is that it says present in a variety of contexts. And again, I had I have to ask why not all contexts? Just like with ADHD, I think I brought this issue up. Why wouldn't ADHD behaviors be present in all contexts? Why wouldn't BPD behaviors or symptoms be present in all contexts? And I think. The issue here is a neuroception of safety that the person is neurocepting safety, meaning that they not only do they are they in a safe environment or potentially with actually safe people, but they might be climbing up to the top of their polyvagal ladder and actually activating that safe and social system enough to where these behaviors or these symptoms or these intense feelings are not as big of an issue, at least in that context. So we've already got lots of pieces of the polyvagal theory. It did say that these, the pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and affects, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood, adulthood and present in a variety of contexts is indicated by five or more of the following. So here's the following. Number one, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Frantic here is, this is a, this jumped out at me majorly frantic. There's an element of energy with the word frantic, right? The concept of feeling of being or the experience of being in a frantic state or place. There's definitely an element of energy here, right? There's a sympathetic charge to it, like a flight fight kind of charge to it. But I think it's more than that. I think that the word frantic seems very chaotic to me. Like there's fear mixed into the sympathetic charge. So it's not just the flight fight energy, quote unquote, just. It's not just the flight fight energy. But there's some fear on top of that, which creates this sort of frantic, chaotic kind of energy to it. If it was just the flight fight energy, if it was just the sympathetic energy, that could be directed at whatever it needed to be directed at, like or from, such as running away from a predator. If we were out in the wild and we saw a lion coming at us, we would neurocept danger, of course. So we would drop from safety down into our flight system. It's the sympathetic flight fight system, but flight first, the flight behaviors first. And we would have the impulse to run away. Fear would not necessarily be a part of that. It would just be the impulse and the action, the mobilization of running. We'd be highly adrenalized, but we might not necessarily feel fear. It's when these energies are thwarted or not allowed to complete when they aren't allowed to complete what needs to happen to get to safety, then fear comes into play. So if, if we run away to safety from, let's say it's like a wild dog, right? We, there's a wild dog. We feel this impulse to run. We run. As long as we can use that action to get to safety, fear might not be a part of it. Now, if we run and turn a corner and there's a dead end, now all of a sudden the, the, the energy can't complete its mission of getting to safety now we might start to feel some fear. Now there might be more frantic or chaotic energy getting in there. The primary autonomic sympathetic state does not involve fear. It, just to kind of wrap it up, it involves bodily instincts and impulses that are acted upon to run or fight. And this is something that Peter Levine uh, definitely goes into in his books. 
When the energy is not able to complete through an action like running or fighting, then the fear comes in. And that's where that more frantic energy is going to come from. But this concept also relates to directly to trauma. This is one of the paths to trauma. One of the paths to trauma, the first one is a chronic disruption of connectedness. The other one is surviving an acute traumatic event or more likely to be traumatic event where there's a huge sympathetic buildup of energy to run or fight. But then that energy can't complete its mission. And then the body is immobilized while charged up. So the, the, the energy can't come out. And that's really one of the paths of trauma. It's one of the two paths of trauma. That energy, that sympathetic charge gets stuck inside. And that's what the freeze state is, is immobilization while highly charged up. So the gas is going, but the brake is also put on at the same time. That's what causes that stuck energy to, to, to become frozen in the individual. This is the freeze state. Freeze is different than shutdown. Shutdown is a collapse, uh, playing dead kind of thing. Freeze is the highly charged up, but then immobilized. So now after the traumatic event, that freeze energy stays inside the person. The freeze energy can be triggered very easily. And when it's triggered, it's very chaotic, very frantic. So it's not just flight energy, but now it's panic. It's not just fight energy, but now it's more rage when it gets triggered. Both of these are more chaotic. Both are frantic. There's less control of the self and less control of the real world as well. There's a sense of way heightened danger, even if it may not be there, and a perception that one's life is under threat, even if it's not really under threat, and that some action has to be taken, something, anything, like some action, any action must be taken with that level of chaotic, panicky, or rage energy, when that's triggered, there's a, an intense uh, intense impulse to do something. And you can probably already start putting the pieces together what that looks like for BPD, and we'll go into that later on. The other part from number one here is real or imagined. And I'm going to bring you to the concept of the polyvagal concept of neuroception. Neuroception is the unconscious detection of safety or danger cues in the environment, and it can be a healthy or unhealthy. Unhealthy neuroception detects risks when there might not be any there. And this is extremely true for traumatized individuals who live more down the polyvagal ladder, more down in a defensive state, that they perceive or they detect risk or danger when there's really none there. Because there's a level of unhealthy neuroception where they're unable to notice the, or the ability to notice safety cues is compromised and the ability to notice danger cues is also compromised. So they're seeing things that aren't dangerous as dangerous and they're missing the safety cues because they're more focused, their, their body's now more primed to see danger pretty much anywhere. When we're stuck in a flight, fight, shutdown, freeze state, we see danger where there is none and we amplify danger that isn't needed to be amplified. This unhealthy neuroception is going to pick up on danger cues and these danger cues are going to be triggers to the freeze energy that may or may not be based in actual danger cues. But for that person, that trigger for is specific specific to them is going to be a danger cue that triggers that freeze energy, that intense, chaotic, frantic energy, that flight or that uh, panicky or rageful energy. One of those danger cues could be being alone, being isolated, being left alone, being rejected or abandoned, or, or the perception of these things are happening. Now, in a BPD relationship, the other person is the safety. 
there's a dependence on that person, right? So when there's a perception of that person leaving, it's a significant danger cue, which is connected to abandonment. Now let's talk about abandonment. This is abandonment probably due to unhealthy early life attachments. I would, I think it's a pretty safe guess in general. There's definitely a higher rate of history of trauma and abuse from, in, from childhood with uh, BPD individuals. Now, is it actual abandonment that they're experiencing and reacting to, or is it a story-follow-state issue? Story-follow-state is another piece of the polyvagal theory where our, the stories in our brain, the thoughts that we come up with, the images match the state that we're in. It follows the state. Is the person actually leaving them, or is there a shift in the autonomic nervous system, which then gets translated into a story of abandonment? The story could very well be accurate of abandonment. That could be totally accurate. It could very well come from past history of actual abandonment as well. But it also might be the brain's best attempt at explaining what's happening in the autonomic nervous system state shift. And that's going to, of course, be based on the past and applied to what is currently happening. Now combine that frantic energy, the rage, the panic energy, combine that frantic energy with a perception of being abandoned and everything that comes along with that. It's a very dangerous combination, I think. I think this nervous system of the individual who's diagnosed with uh, BPD, I think this nervous system clearly recognizes that connection and safety are biological imperatives and a must in life. But this individual lacks the sense of self to be themselves and bring themselves to a safe connection with others, with safe others. We all need connection, but to be a full part of a relationship, we need to bring our full self. We need to have the self-love first, the connection to ourself in the present moment. Then we bring our self to someone else's self who is also in the present moment. That equals a healthy relationship, in my opinion. Now how, often, now, how often does this actually happen? Probably not very often. I mean, to that level, that's the ideal. Probably doesn't happen terribly often, right? It, just in general. But that's a huge piece of the puzzle here is we have to be our full self in the present moment and bring that to a relationship. And I think that piece in these BPD relationships is definitely missing. Peter Levine, I want to go deeper into this. Peter Levine uses the word vortex to describe how trauma lives and stays in the body. And I like it a lot. I like it for conceptualizing the relationships that were that are being dis- described here. I think these relationships are a swirling vortex of disconnection from others and from the self. So I'll, I'll break it down this way. Something in the real world or a perception of something happening in the real world, right? There's something happening or perceived something happening, which leads to then being experienced as a danger cue, which triggers the stuck freeze energy from prior actual abandonment and or abuse. So something happens in the real world, which then is experienced as a danger cue, which triggers the stuck freeze energy, then an impulsive action that stems from that frantic energy as a way to channel the stuck freeze energy. Okay, so the stuck freeze energy is triggered, which leads to an impulsive action that stems from that frantic energy because they have to do something with that energy, right? As a way to channel that stuck freeze freeze energy. But then feelings of shame and guilt for having acted on the frantic fear of abandonment on that rage or the panic. So they, they do have an impulsive action, but then feelings of shame and guilt for having acted on it 
on the impulse, on the fear of abandonment, then real-life consequences for whatever might have happened during those actions, which comes from the frantic fear of abandonment. And then on top of that, what do you do? They will then, seeking the comfort of others as an attempt to regulate the underlying autonomic nervous system. But this person has extreme difficulty with recognizing safe relationships due to probably some early life unhealthy attachment and trauma. So they're seeking out a relationship to self-regulate or to soothe or get some relief or protection from all this other pain, but they have a difficult time recognizing actually safe people or being with themselves in an actually safe relationship. But when you find that wrong person, you can probably guess where this goes next. It just repeats, right? Or even if, even if you find that right person, part of the history or part of the patterns of BPD relationships is there's going to be some kind of issue. There's, there's going to be some huge, and we're going to go into this too, as well, but there's going to be some kind of problem, right? And so it just, it repeats and repeats and repeats. It's a swirling vortex of disconnection from others and from the self. So that was all number one. Number two, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. In defensive states, critical thinking is very much compromised, like I discussed with OCD in episode 49. And Mercedes said this a few episodes back, the further you drop down the ladder, I think the more and more compromised your critical thinking becomes. And as one of my absolutely brilliant followers on Instagram said in the comments, and I wish I knew who it was, I'm sorry to this person, because I love it, this has stuck in my mind since then. Someone in the comments said, it's an issue of being able to hold two truths at the same time to be able to think in black and white, not black or white. The word and, I love I love that, black and white. And indicates two truths at the same time to see where you're coming from and also where the other person's coming from. Being able to see another's perspective and acknowledge that both are potentially valid or at least understandable. But to be able to do the black and white, this requires that we have access to our safety system, which is the same thing as our social engagement system. Not having access to the safety circuitry leads to the idealization and devaluation. Either the person is all good or they're all bad, black or white, versus they're just a person who messed up, or they're just a person and I messed up. Or they're just a person and not the right fit for me. Or we're both just people and not right for each other. But I can still love myself. I can still maybe love them, but not be with them. Or I can forgive them, but not be with them. Being able to see these more balanced potential truths requires access to a calmer way of thinking, which is only available in the ventral vagal safe and social state. The social engagement system, you have to have enough access to it to be able to see black and white. I also think that that requires some level of empathy, which also, again, is going to come from the social engagement system at the top of the polyvagal ladder. An unstable and intense interpersonal relationship, as it says in number two, this sounds like a hefty, hefty level of sympathetic energy to it. Unstable and intense. There's a chaos to it, a frantic energy. There's a panic or a rage or both specifically, fighting, breaking up, 
blaming, withdrawing, obsessing, jealousy, wondering, impulsive sexuality, self-harm, all require sympathetic activation. And there's, there's blame in the idealization or devaluation. There's aggression to that. There's an assignment of value. There's evaluation. All of this is very sympathetically charged thinking. The black or white thinking is still there. The person's idealized. They're all good. Even though it's a good evaluation, it's still a very intense, all good, black or white kind of thinking. So it's, it's a positive, I guess, but it's still that black or white thinking. Very, very, very much sympathetically charged thinking. Story follows state. And I think that the energy of the story, the energy of the thoughts in her head, that follows the state as well. Let's look at the idealizing from a couple different angles. Could it be from uh, the flight energy or more from the, the panic energy, I guess? Being saved, being safe, being protected. Somebody else hurt them. And now this new person is the one that they're running to. It's the saviors. They're rescuing them. Or could the idealizing be stemming from a return of the fight energy from shutdown? The other person's, again, the savior, bringing them connection and vitality and energy. They're not actually fighting, but there's a return of energy from shutdown into sympathetic intensity. And when we go from the bottom of the polyvagal ladder of shutdown back up, we don't go from shutdown into safety. We go from shutdown into fight and then flight energy and then the social engagement system. So could it be that we're going from shutdown, a very, very depressed, very disconnected place into the fight energy, but there's a feeling of protection there. So it's more of an idealization of the person, but that intense, aggressive fight energy is still underlying it. That black or white thinking is still there. How about the devaluation? Could this be stemming from fight energy? Lots of blame, lots of judgment toward another person. It's aggressive. It's accusatory. And toward the opposite end now. Now it's devaluing the other person. This definitely does seem to be a level of fight, maybe rage kind of energy, right? Or could this devaluation and idealization be a fluctuation between the flight and fight energy toward that person or from the panic and rage energy? Could it be like they're moving up and down that sympathetic, the sympathetic rungs of the polyvagal ladder? Or could this be the free state? Ideally, it needs to slowly thaw out. The free state, that stuck, sympathetic, intense, chaotic energy, it needs to slowly thaw out. And it needs to be warmed up by the social engagement system. That that social engagement system has to build in its strength and slowly warm and thaw out the free state. But when that freeze energy is triggered, it's more like it shatters, like the ice shatters. So I'm I'm wondering if this is what we're seeing with the intense and unstable interpersonal relationships. It's ultimately on an individual basis, but these are some possible paths. I I lean more toward that free stuff, but the flight fight energy could definitely be underneath it or from shutdown into fight. That could be in you know, it's 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 very much individualized. I'm leaning more toward that freeze energy though. The other thing I want to add here is that the other person, the partner, is bringing them some level of maybe relief, maybe distraction from their own inner pain, maybe a feeling of protection. But that's not the same as actually reaching the top of the polyvagal ladder and accessing the safety state. And from there, being able to connect with the self in stillness and also with a partner in a relationship. 
that safe, trusting, vulnerable, loving connection, that's a lot different than being feeling protected or just feeling some kind of relief. Number three, identity disturbance, markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. One and two had a sympathetic charge to them. Probably, I think, a freeze mixed state, where it's sympathetic flight fight plus the shutdown immobilization that equals freeze. But here in number three is where we see the shutdown evidence of the freeze equation. Remember, sympathetic plus shutdown equals freeze. This is a key piece of BPD. It's the inability to define their own identity and being dependent on another to do so. The unstable self-image or sense of self sounds to me like a lot of shutdown, a lot of disconnection from the self, from the deeper emotional experiences, connective experiences, personal values, full range of thoughts and the underlying bodily sensations, very much a disconnection from all of those things, from the self, from the present moment. That's a shutdown thing. I think the disconnection from the present moment is very much for all of the defensive states, but the disconnection from the self, that feels a lot more like shutdown to me. This is not a full-on dissociative thing, but there is very much a disconnection and an ability to be with the self, just like we talked about with OCD. This disconnection from the self combined with the intense, frantic, sympathetic energy It's a scary thing because it results in dependency on another for emotional well-being. Depending on someone else for your emotional well-being, that's not co-regulation. That's not inviting assistance or seeking support from another. This is just, it's dependence. It's emotional dependence. And this scares the heck out of me because a lot of bad things can come when someone is emotionally dependent. When they have a severe disconnection from their self combined with a very intense, frantic, sympathetic energy or freeze energy. That really scares me, quite honestly. Number four, impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, such as spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, and binge eating. I want to bring up the polyvagal theory concept of behavioral adaptations, similar to the compulsions of OCD that we talked about last time. In particular, And number four here, the intense, frantic, panicky, rageful energy that is directed toward potentially self-damaging impulsive behaviors. That's what we have to focus on. With impulsivity, there's no thought behind it. There's no planning. There's just sympathetically charged action. But towards what? Why is this happening? Where is the energy going? These reckless behaviors, the spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating, and and more. These reckless behaviors are avenues for the sympathetic energy. But there's no mindfulness or ownership over the underlying sensations in the body. So it's just impulsive, chaotic action, which probably comes from, I think, the chaotic, frantic, freeze energy that's stuck within. There's no ability to sit with the energy and to be with the inner self. And if you can't do that, what you're left with is a ton of energy and nowhere to put it, nothing to do with it. And that's going to result in impulsive behaviors, impulsive actions or choices. But these impulsive, 
potentially self-damaging behaviors might be this person's best attempts at coping, at seeking relief, or feeling grounded or discharging the energy. I'm not saying it works or that it is going to result in actually feeling grounded or discharging the energy, but these might be this person's best attempts at doing so, so far. This is the behavioral adaptation that Dr. Porges talks about. The energy is too much, so they alter their behavior to discharge it or to attempt to discharge it. But with these highly impulsive, dangerous behaviors, it's not going to work. It fails. And then it reinforces the stuck state because now there's blame and guilt and shame and also probably some consequences from those choices. By the way, the ones that were listed, these are all outward attempts to deal with the intense stuck freeze energy. Binge eating, spending money, buying stuff, sex with someone, reckless driving. These are all outward things that we're doing to attempt to deal with that energy. But what if what if this uh, intense stuck freeze energy were directed inward toward the self? And that's number five. Number five is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. BPD clients um, show much higher rates of suicidal behaviors between 60-78% of clients with BPD have shown these suicidal behaviors and more than 90% engaging in self-harm. That's a very scary high number. This is also very much a freeze thing or maybe a shutdown thing. With freeze, the intense stuck sympathetic energy doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just go away. It's either going to be directed outward or inward. When that ice shatters, it's going to go outward or inward. That's why we need the social engagement system, the safety circuitry. We need that to strengthen and slowly warm the free state down. I think suicide and self-harm is what we see when the intense stuck freeze energy is directed back toward the self. And this, I think, is something that Peter Levine would agree with as well, based on my readings of him. That's freeze. That is, is going to be directed back toward the self. With shutdown, the returning intense sympathetic energy doesn't just go through the person, doesn't go through the self, without that person being able to handle it. And what I mean here is when we go from shutdown up into our fight sympathetic energy, we have to be able to handle that, to, to know what's going to happen, to have built a, a window of tolerance to it, and when it comes up, to welcome it. But So it's the same kind of thing, though. When, when we go from shutdown into that sympathetic energy up the ladder, that energy is going to go either outward or inward. The, the trick here is, at the deepest levels, it's actually to not direct it outward or inward through action, but to simply be with that energy and witness its process. And that probably sounds completely foreign to you and absolutely ridiculous, but that seems to be the way it goes. The most peaceful, the most beautiful, <laughs> the most unstuck is when we don't attempt to direct it outward or in th- inward. But ultimately, at some point, as we work toward that, to be able to be with it, to witness it, and to allow that energy to discharge on its own. Very difficult. I'm not saying just sit there and let it happen. I'm not saying that at all. The first step, I think, is with the intense freeze energy is absolutely 
to build the social engagement, the safety system to help warm that, to help warm and thaw the free stuff. And so that you can handle witnessing it go through and, and discharge on its own. It's imperative. It is absolutely imperative. And I'm going to keep, this has been a big thing theme for me recently, and I'm going to keep harping on this. It is so imperative that we not wait for a crisis to be mindful. And that's what I'm talking about, you know, witnessing the process. It's, it's mindfulness. It's a, it's a lot of mindfulness. You have to build up toward it, but it's mindfulness. You, you cannot simply rely on coping skills when there's a problem. So we can't wait for a crisis to be mindful. You do the work ahead of time in moments of non-crisis. In moments where you're doing okay, that's where you want to really be mindful. And you can do it anytime as long as you can handle it. But if you can't handle the painful stuff, be mindful of the good, the positive stuff, the happy stuff, the connected stuff, or the less crummy stuff. If you can do this and build that social engagement, that safety system, and mindfully let the, a little bit of that freeze energy out at a time, that's going to result in a greater capacity to handle those crises that come up, to handle that freeze energy, to have more sense of self, more feelings of connection, and a reduction in the intensity of that freeze energy or that sympathetic energy. Number six, affective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood. For example, intense episodic dysphoria, irritability, or anxiety, usually lasting a few hours and only rarely more than a few days. So number six, let's focus on affective instability. This is a rapid and intense mood swing that is difficult to control or mood swings that are difficult to control. Does this sound to you like some sympathetic activation? I would think so. In particular, affective instability. The word instability, to me, again, that suggests a very chaotic freeze energy, which I think we see in the next piece, which is reactivity of mood. From number six, reactivity of mood. And reactivity here is the biggest piece. Intense mood that has a freeze undertone to it, I think. Also a weaker vagal break, which results in less ability to tolerate distress. So yeah, reactivity of mood, yeah. Probably relates to that freeze undertone, a weaker vagal break. And what we see is that when you put those two together, the freeze energy is easily triggered due to a weaker vagal break, resulting in a chaotic level of sympathetic energy when triggered. We have to have a stronger vagal break. We have to have a stronger social engagement system to handle the freeze energy when it does get triggered. And here is probably a very frustrating truth that we do need a stronger social engagement system. But with BPD, there's a significant social impairment there. And I'm not talking about social skills. I'm talking about impairment in the ability to access the safety state, the social engagement state. It's the same thing. And if we can access that and build it up in strength and exercise it like a muscle, we can actually decrease the intensity of the freeze energy. I think what we see with BPD is that this individual is going to seek social regulation. I think it, I do think that there's the intent there is to seek regulation or co-regulation, but they don't have the system to actually accept co-regulation, safety. They don't have the system, the familiarity with trust and vulnerability and connection to actually accept the co-regulation if it is offered. All of this, all of these pieces equals the chaotic freeze mixed state feel to me. There's a chaotic freeze mixed state feel to the affective instability. That intensity of it that feels like the tenseness 
of freeze, like walking on ice. Number seven, chronic feelings of emptiness. This brings us back to the shutdown. The feeling of emptiness is very much a shutdown thing. I've had clients uh, describe it as being foggy or gray or numb or or disconnected or just very alone, uh, very empty. It's the, the emptiness is the conscious emotional experience of the stuck shutdown state, like in depression. I can see an underlying chronic feeling of emptiness along with the freeze energy since shutdown's a piece of the freeze equation. But it's the emptiness plus the stuck, chaotic, sympathetic energy. So that's that freeze flavors. There's shutdown plus the sympathetic. Number eight, inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. For example, frequent displays of temper, constant anger, recurrent physical fights. Intense sounds like the rage associated with the freeze mixed state. When the freeze energy gets triggered, it's going to look a lot like rage, which is really just a super amplified anger. And anger anger is a very amplified fight state. That day-to-day anger is a lot different than rage, which comes from stuck sympathetic energy, sympathetic energy that was frozen into the individual through immobilization while supercharged. So that's, that's the intensity. The intensity sounds like the rage associated with the freeze mixed state. Inappropriate. It says intense anger. Inappropriate, intense anger. Inappropriate. The individual here is experiencing and filtering the world in a much different way than those around them potentially. So in that context, it may seem inappropriate. The, their view of that, of the interactions happening in that space are going to seem probably a lot different to those witnesses. If someone's going to watch that, they're going to be like, where's that person coming from? their behavior, that level of aggression or that level of response to this situation is inappropriate as a third party, like sort of judgment on the situation, on the decisions being made. But this individual diagnosed with borderline personality disorder that's showing these behaviors and symptoms, they're experiencing the world in a much different way than others might be potentially. They're coming from a very chaotic, frantic, stuck, free state And so their view of the world is going to be a lot more, the world is a lot more dangerous to them. The world is not safe. It is not connected. Things are, when you, when we exist down the ladder and have that stuck freeze energy, the world becomes a lot more dangerous. It just feels a lot more dangerous. And when we get triggered, our responses are a lot more intense and look a lot more inappropriate. As an aside, by the way, when in defensive states, our thoughts can change as well. And we become very good at rationalizing our choices. When we're in these states, it's dangerous to admit fault, or it feels dangerous to admit fault, to be vulnerable. We have to be in our safety state to actually feel sorry or take responsibility. Just as an aside, I thought that was a point that had to be made here as well. And number nine, the last one, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. And I want to focus on the dissociative symptoms. Dissociative symptoms stem from a shutdown state or a mixed free state. When we're in shutdown, we might dissociate or we might even go numb as well. But these dissociations or numbness actually has a direct, could have a direct benefit potential to the prey possibly surviving the situation. If you think about it, if, if you are attacked by, let's say, a lion again, 
and the lion drags you back to its den, if you're numb, you're not going to have to feel all of that happening, right? So right away, obviously, numbness, that's, that's a positive. But even more beyond that, when you might have an opportunity to escape the situation, being numb is going to be a benefit because you're not going to have to feel the pain that you otherwise would. And now you might have a potential to get to safety. And likewise, with dissociation, if you're dissociative and you're not in your body or reality is not real, then the things that are happening to you as the lion drags you back to its den or is biting on you, you're not going to have to be in the present moment in your body to experience that. And when you have the opportunity to escape the situation, if it comes up, if you're numb and you pop up and you want to run away, if you've dissociated and you don't remember what just happened to you, I think your chances of survival are probably going to go up because now you're going to be more probably focused on getting to safety and not thinking about all the horrible stuff you probably just went through. All these defensive states can become chronic. And when it comes to shutdown, if you're in a dissociative flavored shutdown, that can become chronic as well. That can be a day in, day out kind of thing. And this is going to equal a disconnection from the self or the, the true self or the truer self. And this has come up numerous times with the borderline personality disorder diagnosis from the DSM is that there is a disconnection from the true self. This could be a chronic experience of shutdown day to day. And shutdown is a piece of the freeze mix state. So I, I can see how, the, how that could be there. In sum, I think the freeze mixed state is definitely a definitely a big part of the borderline personality disorder underlying polyvagal implications, especially since we know that uh, with BPD, there's a significant rate of trauma that um, came before the diagnosis and specifically early life childhood trauma as well. I think early life trauma can absolutely have result long-lasting, potentially lifelong implications uh, with the free state, with shutdown stuff. Absolutely. Potentially lifelong, but not necessarily lifelong thing. If someone's seeking help, I do think that help is possible. If it wasn't possible, I don't think we would see therapists working with individuals with this diagnosis. I don't think we would see uh, dialectical behavior therapy. I don't think any of this would exist. So I, I do think there is definitely a possibility of getting unstuck I think that the somatic piece of it could be very helpful, maybe not off the bat, but building that social engagement system, building that safety system, especially feeling the feelings of safety, building that, strengthening that, warming that up so that it can start to thaw the freeze energy. I think that would be probably a big piece of, of what help could look like with borderline personality disorder outside of the uh, the therapies that have already shown to be helpful or along with those therapies. I've got a few segments with Mercedes and I left that I have yet to publish. You'll be hearing those come out. Members, I'll probably have maybe one or two just for you as well. For members, I'm actively looking for new ways to get the members audio to you. And, and it's a lot more frictionless and seamless I hate that you have to come to my website to get it. I mean, I, I like you visiting the website. You're always welcome. But I would like this to be more frictionless for you. I take your $5 a month very seriously. That's a coffee. 
I take that seriously. So, oh, and by the way, members, make sure you're caught up. I've had a mini-sode on art therapy, and I've also had a mini-sode on my Mercedes and I first impressions of each other that published recently. So make sure you're caught up, right? There's some fun stuff and some helpful stuff there too. The homework assignment for everybody, do something that you enjoy mindfully. And actually, first off, what is it? How do you know that you enjoy the thing that you enjoy? What is it inside of you that's telling you that you enjoy this? But whatever it is, do that thing, but do it mindfully. Like really be in the moment and notice what it feels like in your muscles, on your skin, uh, in your breathing, in your heartbeat, in your thoughts. Like really mindfully be a part of that and really notice what it feels like to do that thing. All right. So whatever it is that brings you some level of joy or connection or peace or calm, just do a little bit more mindfully. There's no perfect way to do this. Don't judge it. Don't evaluate it. But bring a little bit more mindfulness to that. I've also got a request of you. Please submit an audio clip to me by March 31st. Anytime you want to submit an audio clip is fine. I love those. But I really want to hear how the Polyvagal Podcast has impacted you in its first year. The first year is over. And once I hit episode 52, the next one, the next episode after that, will be a kind of reflection on the first year. And I'd love to get some audio clips from listeners in there. Has it helped you as a parent? Has it helped you in your relationship? Is it as a worker in your own level of love for yourself? Like, has a podcast contributed in some way uh, to your daily life? I'd love to hear from you. Let me know through an audio DM or just email me a voice memo from your phone to justinlmft at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've learned some new ways to connect with others or even with yourself. Bye.